Here we go. Right. Well, the uh, audio isn't working, but uh, we'll get that working next time. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to uh, oh, apparently nothing's working today. There we go. Now we're working. <laughs> Welcome to episode 299 of the Growing with Fishes podcast. Um, we have an awesome day today. This week, we have a Third Coast Herbal Collective. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me out. And is it Gracie or Grace? Uh, sure either or. Yeah, Grace is fine. Yeah. Okay. I usually go by Gracie. Gracie. There's more than one Grace. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, well, thanks for joining us today. Um, before we get started, we have a couple of quick uh, announcements as far as events and stuff go. Um, we have, let me pull it up on the screen here. Um, we do have, first off, the... Uh, the festival um, that um, uh, is going on out in Washington that's going to be really fun. Uh, Cass Posey was on uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from the conference, so uh, definitely be sure to check that out. We have a ton of awesome speakers coming out there. Chris Trump will be there. I'll be there. Um, uh, Cass will be there. Uh, Matt Powers will be there. Uh, Dustin Powers, a whole bunch of awesome people. I know there's a whole bunch of cool people that uh, uh, she hasn't announced yet that are, that are speakers as well. It's like over 30 speakers. It's going to be a really fun event uh, out in Washington in August. That's August 19th, 20th, and 21st. Uh, and then we also have the Organic Cultivators, organiccultivators.net over in uh, July. The last week in July, I'll be speaking at that. You know, about July 28th, 29th, 30th, and 30th, and 31st. So you have the, the, class, the workshop with Suzanne if you want to show up. Um, uh, on the 28th, and then the, the conference is the 29th through 31st, um, so that'll be a lot of fun, lots of cool people there, uh, and there's an after party at uh, Ace of Eights, which is a, another cool spot in, in town not too far away, and then also we have a new aquaponic uh, and living soil pest control class, so it go, covers all the different biocontrols, beneficial insects, along with release guides and application guides and all that fun stuff. Be sure to check that out. Uh, and then we also have the aquaponic cannabis class at apmjclass.com. Uh, if you guys are interested in that, be sure to give that a look. We have a bunch of new content that's going to be going up in that class as well. Um, we're constantly adding new stuff to that every few months, and we have a whole bunch of new slides that are about to drop uh, in that if you're a part of that class. All right. Um, so uh, this week we have um, a third, third, cursed herbal, well, third Coast Herbal Collective. Um, and uh, we have, uh, uh, I've definitely uh, had a chance to try some of their awesome products. Um, the garlic is awesome. The salsa was great. The, the uh, skin cream was awesome. Uh, so uh, yeah, all your products have been amazing that I've had a chance to try when I've uh, uh, seen you uh, running around. I think I saw you last in Michigan this year. If memory serves me right, or, or Maine, I don't remember which uh, um, uh, regenerative conference it was because they all kind of blurred, <laughs> blurred together a little bit this year. Um, but uh, yeah, we have all different types of wonderful things. You can check out our website at thirdcoastherbalcollective.com uh, as well if you're listening to this in audio. So thanks for joining us today. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself and a little bit about your farm? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I was in Michigan. So I was in Michigan in 2019. Um, 
at the regenerative conference and that's where I first heard you speak. Uh, I first heard Chris Trump speak there and uh, Wendy as well. Y'all kind of stood out from that year for me uh, this year. I really liked Josh. Um, I can't, his last name's death, uh, something with an S. Um, he, he really stood out to me this year in particular. So those, yeah, those conferences and everything um, are awesome. I love them. Uh, Third Coast Herbal Collective mission is building soil and community. So uh, yes, there you go. Um, and so building soil and community, I'm really big with networking. I don't know, it's a gift that I've been given in this lifetime. So uh, I truly believe that you can't have a healthy community without healthy soil and vice versa. So um, as much as I am really big into closed loop systems and being as self-sufficient as possible. Uh, I, I really like to highlight how we can do that without being closed off and really network with, again, uh, who's around us. So not really feeling like you have to do it all because um, I've you know, tried to do a lot and uh, it's impossible, quite, quite impossible to do it all. And uh, even people that are doing quite a bit themselves, they're always sourcing either ingredients from somewhere or getting help from a neighbor. So um really highlight that uh it's third coast herbal collective even though it seems like uh i do a good chunk of the work sometimes <laughs> so yeah uh, we have 20 acres here in southern michigan um where we do all natural farming i've been to chris's uh two of his uh intensives so one in 2019 in august and uh, in Boise, which that was a real, real good time. That was super fun. Um, and just really like kind of dove straight in. I came from a NPK um, style background of growing where for about seven years, I worked on a mom and pop style farm where I was the mom. And uh, I, you know, we, we did big outdoors, two different houses, indoors, pretty much blew it up to the, you know, full extent of the law here in Michigan uh, during the green rush, which was awesome. Uh, things have obviously changed since 2009. So, um, or 2000, I believe 11, I actually moved here. Um, so yeah, at the time I was going to Ohio State University and studying cultural anthropology with a minor in integrated medicine. Uh, so really interested in like, the beginning of healing and how did we start to heal? You know, we have records of when our first burial sites were, for example, because it's a big cultural, um, I mean, a big thing within evolution that we started grieving our dead enough to bury them. So I had questions of like, when did we start to heal, you know, and really interested in plant medicine from that aspect. Um, and I had a deep relationship with cannabis at the time, but uh, uh, I moved, I dropped out of Ohio State, moved up to Michigan. Um, and was itching to get back to school. So I applied to U of M and I actually got denied for like the first time in my life. I like was pretty heartbroken. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't fucking want me at your school. So um, I just say I had too much scarlet in my blood for them. So sorry if you're a University of Michigan fan, but I'm definitely a diehard Buckeye. So um, I didn't take it too hard. And I found naturopathic school. So one door closes, another door opens. And I went to a three-year program from 2011 or 2012 to 2015. And I studied in person at a traditional naturopathic program. So it's a little bit different than the West Coast. 
um, naturopathic, which is definitely more like a allopathic Western medicine um, style of learning. And uh, in that naturopathic studies um, is where I fell into the herbalism. So I had to cultivate my entire relationship with plants. Um, it definitely was not installed in me in a young age. My mom's a pediatric anesthesiologist and uh, my sister's a private practice dermatologist. But my brother's a corporate lawyer. And then I'm like, hey, let's get some regenerative farmer in there too. So um, <laughs> it's good to have a doctor, a lawyer and a farmer in the family, right? Um, I think we're starting to value farmers a lot more uh, as a work trade and, um, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm a proud parent of a farmer, you know? So um, it, it took my parents, they're, they're real academic inclined. So they're like, you're not going to school, you're dropping out to grow weed. Okay, interesting. But um, it worked out for the best. And cannabis was definitely like a gateway uh, plant to like all the other plants. And so that's something I'm pretty passionate about because cannabis helped me so much, especially with uh, self-healing within like menstrual cycles and um, moods and all sorts of things. I mean, I don't have to tell you all about how awesome cannabis is, but it's definitely not a cure-all. Um, I think we can be like too codependent on her a lot of the times. And uh, having other plants in your apothecary is just a really solid way to um, really actually deepen your relationship with cannabis even because you're not solely dependent on her. Um, and you can get into some really cool synergistic and symbiotic relationships um, uh, with cannabis playing off of other plants to have like even more of a full spectrum experience, if you will. So yeah, um, ever since 2012, 2015, that span, I've just been like down the herbalism rabbit hole, but we were really growing a lot of NPK style. I mean, all organic, but just following charts and not following our intuition as much. A lot of probably overkill on spray and uh, bug control and a whole lot of paranoia, <laughs> a whole lot of paranoia from the garden to our life. So uh, um, I like natural farming because it's empowering and it has uh, increased my herbalism practice. So doing things like when I make an FPJ with a root harvest, um, I use the tops of like yellow dock, which normally I wouldn't use the tops of a yellow dock um, in any kind of medicine form. It would just be compost. So the fact that I can implement uh, natural farming techniques that I've learned through Chris and KNF um, that help my herbalism be, my herbalism practice be that much more regenerative is a uh, real, real appealing to me um, in terms of continuing and deepening my practice on the farm and in the garden. So yeah, I'll keep rambling. So if you got any questions, just have on in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you're, you're perfectly fine. Um, uh, well, I guess tell us um, what drew you to the, the whole uh, regenerative um, way of growing versus other methods and, 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 and KNF in particular, and then what are kind of some of the things that you've learned along the way with their, your KNF journey? Well, um, I guess, uh, um, uh, Josh and Kelly from Dempier when I was uh, at, they were at the Regenerative 2019 uh, conference, if I remember correctly. And I was talking to Kelly, who's also a naturopath. And uh, she, I was trying to wrap my head around like, well, what do you mean? Like I make 
plant medicine for people. You're telling me I can make plant medicines for my fucking plants. And then I, I don't like going to the grocery store. So why the fuck am I going to the grocery store? It's just like, you know, like all these synapses were like, oh, aha moment kind of then. Um, you know, in 2017, we had a talk about regenerative um, agriculture through Moon Mountain, who does really, really cool stuff. They're up in the UP. They have this whole food cellar that is like made from wood that they milled on their own barn. It is bad fucking ass. And uh, yes, Amber and Ryan, they have a food forest up there. They're like a little bit north of Marquette. It's uh, moonmountain.mi. And uh, yeah, uh, they're super inspiring to me. So that's kind of when I first got into the regenerative thing, but I was just so hardcore down like the NPK lifestyle. And when you just have things dialed in and it's a well-oiled machine, it's really hard to pull away. But uh, when I split with the father of my child uh, in 2017, I actually left the farm and um, was away from the farm for a while for uh, like living in my parents' attic, kind of trying to figure out my next move. And um, he ended up getting a job as one of the growers in the state of Ohio and moved down to Ohio. Um, and the farm was kind of open. So I moved back up then in 2018. Uh, like, and so I had a gap and a, kind of a privilege to, to, you know, start, start anew. If that makes sense. It's really hard for people to find that gap where it's like, okay, I'm not growing right now. I can transition, you know? So, um, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I was like so quick to get back on the farm in 2018 and just turn the lights back on and just do it the way I knew how to do it. Um, but I had some encouragement to be like, don't put all your eggs in the basket, uh, you know, uh, try some other things out. Um, and so I ended up being like, well, what's another cash crop and garlic was like, you know, you could make 20 grand on an acre of garlic. So, um. I was like, I'll do some garlic. It's still going from 18, you know, $1,800 a pound back then to $18 a pound for garlic, $1,800 a pound for some outdoor, you know, or like we were getting over two at the time for, for indoors. So it was a lifestyle change, but, um, you can't eat, you know, you can't eat weed, you can't live off of it, you know? So I do really just value having the food and everything. So I love regenerative agriculture because it's not just cannabis based you know it's not just a company trying to sell me some plastic wrap nutrients that, that are gonna you know make my plants super bomb like it's a lifestyle and it's so much more encompassing so I feel like I was kind of living a regenerative lifestyle but um just doing the best with what I had at the time in terms of like knowledge and means with growing so um yeah really applying that to, to, uh, natural, having natural farm, you know, go beyond the garden. And in that sense, um, was really appealing to me, obviously, uh, in 2018, I was really fucking broke when I moved back on the farm and I couldn't just go to the store and buy a bunch of newts either. So when I met Chris in 2019, he was like, Oh yeah, you can do all this. I was like, tell me more. So, um, and what I love about Chris is that he scaled it up. So, uh, being able to prove that, like, you know, it's really cool to show that you can do something on a smaller scale at a home garden, but to do something on such a large scale and eradicate diseases that the FDA said you couldn't and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, fuck yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so.
Um, I know we definitely use it a lot out here in Oklahoma. We get a lot of septoria outbreaks and, and a lot of, you know, back in the day, people are like, oh, you have to throw away the soil and you can't grow anything there for like a period of time and all sorts of stuff. It's like, no, you just spray some stuff and it goes away. You spray, spray a little liquid IMO, a little labs and it goes away. We've had no issues, you know, getting rid of some of that stuff. And I know Chris has had luck with mosaic virus and, um, and tomatoes. And, and I know other people are trying to test out some of the other mosaic viruses and seeing if that cures that in, in other crops as well. And, you know, it really does have aspects to it that allow you to do all kinds of crazy stuff that you, you know, simply don't have other, you know, store-bought answers to. Yeah, with the satoria, is that linked to like a cottonwood tree? Is that, I was reading about that a little bit earlier and I thought, and I have a big old cottonwood in my yard uh, that I love very much, but I definitely feel like I struggle with that too, but it doesn't really harpen my, it's like you read about it and it's like decreased yields and uh, my pantry is not complaining. You know what I mean? We're doing just fine over here. So, you know, um, the biggest but it, thing with it, it, because having those tools, you know, and, and not really worrying about it too much, you know, so. The biggest thing with Septoria is if you get heavy rains and then like above 80 degrees, uh, above 85 degrees, you know, that, that, that wet, okay. then heat, that's when you get that outbreaks, but it's a, it's a spore and it does grow on different trees. Uh, I do know that cottonwoods is one of the ones that it can, you know, associate with. But um, if you have a good microbiology in your root system and do, you know, one or two foliars, if you do see a problem, it's not, it's, it goes away. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's something that like uh, I would, would freak out about or run to the store too. Or I was just posting about my huckleberry plants because I have huckleberries for the first time this year. Technically it's the third time, but the frost got them two years in a row. So this is my first time having huckleberries and I'm very excited. Well, they're on the vine. I, ha I don't have them yet, but I'm going to have them soon, hopefully. And so I don't like to jinx the garden. I'm always like, yeah, it's cool now, but there's challenges coming, no doubt. So um, always trying to be humble within the garden. And uh, but the deer were going fucking nuts on them. Ants were eating them like crazy. I've never had an ant problem at all. And I just kind of watched and observed because it is my first year having them. So I'm like, why would I fuck with them? You know, first when the deer were starting to bite them, I'm like, well, do you guys grow back? Is this like a basal situation? And it is, you know, they're going to bush out. So we're fine from that aspect. But, um, the, uh, you know, the ants have just seemed to like self-resolve in some interesting way that I don't really have to figure out because it's taking care of itself. And, um, you know, they're going to dump, you know, I just try to, when I'm working with a plant for the first time, I have the, privilege and ability to plant extra. So I do that, you know, for the deer and for myself to learn with, you know, sometimes I plant too much extra though. And then it's like that much more to take care of. Uh, like last year I planted a flat of artichokes. I don't know why, but I felt like I needed 36 artichokes and the deer got to them like crazy because it was such a big plot. I couldn't really control them. And they, they got so damaged that, uh, I didn't get a harvest off them. I gave some to a friend and they harvested some artichokes off there. So I know that I tricked them into, cause you got to trick them in Michigan to think that they're in their second year by exposing them to cold temperatures when they're young. Uh, cause usually they're grown as more of like a perennial in warmer climates, but in Michigan, you can't grow them. You just got to trick them. So I've got this year, I just like did less artichoke and I have four artichokes now and they're banging and I'm hiding them from the deer. And, you know, 
I'll harvest enough off of them. So always finding that balance of, you know, doing enough so you can learn and have a harvest and there's enough for the critters, but then also uh, not doing so much that you're like, fuck, I can't take care of a plot this size. I don't need 30 chicks, 36 artichokes. So <laughs> yeah. Artichokes are huge plants too. I think people often underestimate when they plant them, how much space that they take up because they're like a, good four by four or bigger space that each one of those plants is going to take up yeah i had like a 25 foot plot it was a little it was unnecessary for sure and that's why the deer found them because they were just like oh these are right on the corner of your garden and we've never had artichoke before they fucking are awesome so (laughs) you know hillsdale deer like artichoke that's what i learned i also have i have a whole new dye garden this year that's um 10 new species that are all used for plant dyes. So getting into a lot, again, with the regenerative herbalism, uh, regenerative uh, lifestyle, like coming down to like what clothes you wear. And there's a lot of chemicals in clothes being produced. There's a lot of waste in clothes being produced, Um, you know, really paying attention to, you know, consumerism in general and like what we're spending our money on and over consuming. Um, So uh, I, I have, uh, I've been getting into more like eco, uh, fiber arts, I guess, and like eco dyeing and stuff. So I have 10 new species and like the deer love matter and the deer love cosmos, these tango cosmos and indigo. I didn't think they would get into my indigo, but it's like, you know, things you didn't think that they would be able to eat. They're just, uh, helping themselves too. So, uh, for the most part, cause I do have such a big garden like multiple garden spaces. Uh, I try to do like some coyote piss around the border. You know what I mean? If anything, like pure, genuine coyote pee, but it, uh, it only works so well for so long. You know what I mean? In general, again, I just try to plant extra and, uh, like the dye garden is in a new plot. So it is, um, not fully established as like my space yet. I'm kind of coming into their space. And I have to like, let them know, yeah, this is uh, not for you guys anymore. Like take a little bit, but I'm going to need most of this. So um, yeah, I envy people with big garden fences, but um, if they're not done right, you know, they can really hurt the animals. So their uh, antlers get all tangled up in them or they, they get all, they can hop over quite, you know, quite high. So uh, one day, but up until now, we're just we're going rogue with it so yeah, come october or november you know you can always throw one in the freezer uh-huh that helps too <laughs> yeah i do like to do uh, traditional archery i just started shooting uh bow and arrows with my buddy again he well with he's a new friend i started shooting again he uh is an avid uh traditional archery and he makes all of his own like bow and arrows he just put new fletchings on my arrows with turkey feathers from a turkey that I plucked that um my daughter's father had taken uh several years ago and I'd saved the feathers from so um really big into primitive skills and yes I do one day I will take a, a deer with uh with the recurve up until then I'll I'll stick with the compound but um but uh yeah there's there's always that and then you can use the bones for some biochar and uh you know I've brain tanned hides before. So just go ahead and make it a completely zero waste harvest, you know, some glue for the hooves. Be all good. <laughs> I've done tanning before, but I haven't done the brain tanning. It's something that I've always wanted to learn how to 
Yeah, we um, harvested uh, uh, dough off the property and um, I've done chemical tanning several times, but the one brain tanning experience I've had was singular because it's such a process that it's intense. And we use like hickory we smoked it with hickory from the property. Um, wow. It, we, my friend who is native and, uh, uh, taught me how to do it and showed me how his like grandma used to like chew on the hide with her teeth to work it and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Those are super, um, uh, special like Tom Tom Brown Jr. Um, he's one of my favorites uh, trackers, and uh, he's he's really badass. Um, and yeah, hunting in general and just primitive skills, just the whole the whole craftsmanship that goes behind it and making everything as well is really really fucking cool. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta be good at something to be able to take a life with it, you know, or even fishing like lures and stuff like that. That stuff's so cool. But, uh, yeah, uh, hunting in particular, I've been blessed with, a with a mentor who lives like 15 minutes away that I couldn't have asked for a better person to, to learn from. And they will be teaching at divine pine gathering, which is something that I wanted to talk to uh, talk about here and just highlight why I have the the time if anyone's listening and they're local to Michigan or I mean we got people coming up from all over uh, my buddy DJ is teaching nat- intro to natural farming there and it is uh gonna be you know just all um basically like learning the acronyms I started some uh liquid fertilizer for him so a little bit of Jadam KNF um mashup and just getting people, you know, hyped on the idea of soil health and making their own inputs and stuff. So it's all like completely grassroots, ticket funded. Um, me and my friends, Abby and Phil, who are the landowners, started it in 2016 with just our local community. And then it's been biannual. Um, so this is like our third year doing it or something like that um it's yeah it's pretty badass we have like 55 workshops uh we're going to release the schedule tomorrow actually on july 1st so that's pretty exciting it's that last weekend of july otherwise i'd actually be at that um conference um that you were going to be speaking at i was looking at going to that one but yeah it's a really great group of people um we'll have scholarships soon there's volunteer opportunities. We try to make everything as like accessible as possible. Um, we, uh, you know, try to cultivate uh, diversity from the soil to our community. So above and above and below the ground. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be pretty, pretty badass. Really, really excited for it. We can only do it every other year because it's that good. <laughs> um, yeah, this is Little Pickers. That's a event that just kicked off today actually I do it for um like foraging families uh come and learn how to pick everything from the garden to the guitar but not your nose and uh we just get kids again like we went and collected IMO boxes with kiddos in the in the woods last year and got to look at those and um got like little kid microscopes out and just just uh you know introducing these concepts at a younger age Um, I have a five-year-old and, uh, she was going to a little bit of schooling, like two half days a week before the pandemic, but 
uh, for just a little bit. And she has been homeschooled ever since. So, and I'm just really liking having her home. Uh, I consider it a privilege. So, um, it's uh, definitely challenging, but we make it work. And she has lots of play dates and all sorts of fun stuff, but she can, you know, plant a patch of tomatoes and a patch of anything, strawberries, raspberries, faster than I could. She loves worms and, uh, you know, has been saving seeds since she was like 18 months old, uh, handing me apple seeds from her snacks and stuff like that. So it's cool to, uh, farming with kids is something really special. I consider myself, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a gift as much of as it is a challenge. Uh, it's, it's, that you know seeing the world through a kid's eyes and seeing a farm through a kid's eyes is is something special this is a our regenerative herbalism group here um this is a new program so in 2020 we launched for yellow moon yurt which is like the headquarters uh for third coast herbal collective it's an off-grid healing art center um, and then 2021, we launched our CSH, which is our community supported herbalism program, similar to a CSA. And uh, most recently this year, we came out with the regenerative herbalism immersion, which basically conv combines um, like regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming with folk er herbalism. Uh, so just teaches, uh, it's a co-creative class. So I consider the plants the teacher. I'm the host here at the property, but um, everybody who comes to uh, the circle is of equal worth and everyone's knowledge, uh, you know, is of equal value. So um, I try to structure a lot of things that way. Again, it's all uh, sliding scale and we try to make it as accessible as possible. Right now, we're about halfway through this program um, I'm thinking about doing more of like a virtual online one, but a lot of the value in this is um, uh, the fact that it is uh, in person. So we do a lot of harvesting together, a lot of hands-on work, learning to make medicine, um, and just talking about how to have the most regenerative herbalism practice possible. So uh, yeah, taking everything to next level. I didn't have anything about soil health or, you know, not to the depth that we're going to. So we collected IMO, uh, we put out IMOs, uh, uh, IMO boxes last, last month, we collected them actually. And then we made IMO too, just this last Saturday. And then uh, some, some of the groups coming back on Tuesday and we're gonna do an IMO three pile demo. Um, so just again, um, trying to spread the word and, uh, the regenerative herbalism thing is something that's more so sign up for the whole program, but working on doing more like one-off uh, classes as well. The compost cup is going to be awesome. If anyone is around September 9th through the 11th, my buddies Chandler and Alexa out of Michigan um, are doing some pretty cool things. I don't know if you're familiar with them, uh, Jet House Gardens. They've been on... Uh, they did an interview recently, I think, on, oh, Future Cannabis Project or something like that. And Leighton was just out at Wormy's GR, uh, like, this week 
like looking at soil samples and stuff like that, kind of hanging out really um, informal hang out at Wormies that I couldn't be at. And I'm really sad that I wasn't there. And my daughter was like crying because we couldn't go to the compost facility. I was like, we have too much work to do. So um, yeah, Michigan has a lot of really cool shit going on, dude. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I, I, I enjoy being here. My dog is begging to go outside. One second. Oh, we actually uh, have Wes joined us as well. Thanks a lot for joining us, Wes. Big up, big up, Potent. Hope you're well, man. Haven't seen you in a minute, but uh, got the invite and decided I was going to hop on tonight. So, yeah, welcome back. Always fun to have you on. Uh, it's been a, a wild, uh, wild year, lots of crazy things, but uh... yeah, man. <laughs> and big up, Grace. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. I like your fish. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, so, um, uh, what, um, uh, have you, you know, you're, uh, big on, uh, different KNF inputs. Have you found anything, um, as far as the different KNF inputs go that you've kind of found is maybe a different way to do it or something that you found is kind of maybe a, a more efficient way or a better way or, or some kind of other tip or trick or improvement upon, uh, uh, the stuff you've learned, um, maybe initially. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a lot of what I've noticed is like similarities and what I feel like the plant is good for, for the plants and what I feel like the plant is good for, for humans, like for comfrey, we use, um, comfrey is a cell proliferator. So it helps promote cell growth. And I use it topically for cuts. It works so well that you can't really use it on a deep wound because it will heal the top before the bottom. So it, in plants and it's also uh, made for like bone building and uh, it's called knit bone as well. So uh, if you think about why you give it to your plant too, it just makes it really like robust and beefy. And um, I just think that like those similarities, uh, I think I started talking about how Kelly was inspiring me um, with something she said uh, when I first started to kind of make these connections was it's like, so I make this medicine for, for plants from plants for people. And now I'm making that same medicine for the plant is the plant, the patient. And Kelly worded it really beautifully. Kelly said, uh, well, the soils, the patient and the plant is the symptoms. So kind of working with, um, cannabis in a way that, you know, they're showing me, you know, the yelling of the leaf is like a cough or, you know, and having these symptoms come through and treating the symptoms in a way, uh, similar to how I would treat like a client with a naturopathic, uh, consult almost, I suppose. Um, again, it's, I don't know if I've necessarily found any tips or tricks specifically to do things better. Um, I do like just, uh, again, combining them with my herbalism practice and making my herbalism practice that much more zero waste by using bits and pieces to, or using something like, uh, um, I believe like I have a whole like, acres of skunk cabbage, but it's something I can't use for medicine at all, but it's some, you know, I could thin the patch out, no problem. And it has oxalic acid in it, which is why it's poisonous and causes like an irritation on the mouth when we eat it. But the 
that breaks down in the fermentation process for FPJ. So I think that's really cool. Finding purposes for plants that, okay, I can't use this for medicine, but it can be, you know, utilized in this uh, farming practice. I uh, love using my garlic leaf tops for FPJ. I grow about like 300 pounds of garlic a year. Uh, pretty close to that. I put a hundred pounds in the ground, 95 pounds. I put 95 pounds in the ground this year. Not quite a hundred. I got tired. <laughs> um, but the garlic leaf is something that I would never use. You know, I used it for like fire starter in my, in my wood burner. It works really well for Kindle, <laughs> but you know, I got a lot of garlic leaf. So I, I guess I could use a lot of Kindle too, but it's hard to store. So uh, using that and garlic, so like antimicrobial and antibacterial, I'm just like, that's become kind of my favorite for my crop and my byproduct on my farm. My favorite uh, thing for FPJ probably like those, those two things. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've been making a lot because last Saturday was the regenerative herbalism the theme was inputs for plants and people. So we had like a whole elixir bar with these mocktail mules where we had ginger beer and lime and muddled mulberries and elderflower and got to go like walk the garden and put all these flowers in your drink. And then we had like our LAB and our OHN and our FPJ out too at the elixir bar. So we we're learning about how to use again, these inputs, um, for plants and people. And that's one thing that, you know, aside from the OHN, my daughter can pretty much drink any of these inputs. And that's not something that I would ever want her to do, you know, with any store-bought nutrients. So as a, uh, you know, single mom here running the farm, like having that in, in kind of safety, I suppose, just not worrying about what bottles are out or, or whatever, you know, uh, a lot of those chemicals, even if they're like organic, aren't really you know, just organic doesn't mean necessarily safe for you. Uh, so uh, I don't have to tell you all that, but yes, if someone's listening and they need to hear that, it's true. <laughs> oh man, in aquaponics, people go crazy with that. Like I've seen people overdose uh, kelp so, till their arsenic is like four times the legal limit and all kinds of other stuff where they're like, oh, it's organic. It's like, yes, but you can still use too much stuff. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> like water even, like you can drown your plants. Like there's such thing as too much of a good thing. So yeah, it's, it's easy to get excited. You know, I luckily, um, I like take my time with things. And so I never, you know, doused my plants with FPJ, like without diluting it or, you know, some of those, like, I guess, beginner mistakes. Cause I met Chris in March and I was basically watching YouTube videos from fucking March to August and just going down the rabbit hole pretty hard. And so I, I had already kind of had my garden game plan that year. And I just really tapered off with the nutrients and just kind of had almost like a control year in 2018, um, or sorry, excuse me, 2019. And then 2020 is really when I started to like implement more things. Um, just because again, that transition year of like, really like, when do you start doing this, you know? And like, that's like probably the biggest hurdle. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I did all like all KNF, no store-bought nutrients uh, for my cannabis in 
2020, just my 12 plants here in Michigan that we're allowed to have or whatever. So that was a big, a big transition year um, on the farm or in 2019. I think I did do plants in 2019. I took 17 and 18 off and I feel like I learned more about growing weed in the two years that I took off from growing weed than in the seven years that I was growing weed before that. Um, but it was just a different, a different style of, of growing, you know, and I think you catch more people with, uh, more bees with honey than vinegar. So when I do like try to talk to folks about natural farming and they grow maybe in like a more salty manner or, uh, in a, just like a different manner, even organics, whatever, you know, just try to be real sweet about it. And, uh, you know, if you're like, oh, this is the best way and I grow and I know so much more than you do and da, 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 I've done it this way. You believe me, like, no, nobody wants, I went to 12 years of Catholic school. So I had a whole lot of time with people spoon feeding me their beliefs. So I just try to like work with what works for me. And then people start to pay attention to what's working. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a, it's a long process, you know, even with an herbalism, 10 years of practicing it. And I feel like, uh, the more you learn, the less, you know, I just can't, uh, uh, can't keep up. So it's farming and working with plants in general. There's like a lot of failure and you just got to be okay with that. If you're trying to have a hundred percent success rate and live on a farm, you're going to have a very, um, uh, <laughs> you're going to be let down a lot. <laughs> so like learn, you know, there's a point where you get things dialed in, but hopefully you're trying new things, working with new species and, you know, like my dye garden, like that's a great example this year. I'm like, okay, give me a few years and this thing will be rocking, you know, but, uh, but yeah, uh, all good things and all good time, I suppose. So how have you seen your farm change and evolve uh, since you started doing that, you know, since 2019 to now uh, versus before? Yeah, well, I go to the store a lot less. That's great. I go to the store a whole lot less. I just basically go to Costco now, get everything in bulk. Um, just, I just, if, if, I mean, like emotionally, it feels a lot more empowering to farm this way. Um, physically, I see a lot more diversity. Uh, uh, just, I don't, currently have a microscope and, uh, but I have gotten my, you know, soil tested by, uh, Logan labs and, um, you know, happy with what I'm seeing from that regard. Uh, and just like physically seeing things like, you know, I'll do some, sometimes I'll do like a straw layer of mulch and I've actually gotten away from that more this year because it isn't something that I source off the property and it's not organic. So I'm trying to get away from that, but, um, using that, I've seen a lot of like snake, more snakes in my garden and even like these really pretty, uh, loose speckled salamanders. So just seeing like more biodiversity from, you know, uh, uh, uh to, um, um, animals and, uh, the yields have been really, really beautiful and the control within, um, just the plants being super vigorous. From the start, like SES is probably one of my favorite things to work with. Like I popped a lot of seeds and especially with cannabis, it just seems to really give them like this extra boost. 
and you can test the viability with the, just the floating, um, you know, uh, sinking or floating test as well with the seeds. So you kind of get a two for one there. Um, so yeah, I think that, uh, um, in general, it's been just empowering and helped me be more self-sufficient. Uh, cause if I had to be paying for a bunch of fertilizers or just a lot of self-doubt, there's a lot of self-doubt in general, but in the garden, you know, am I doing this right? Is this, um, is this going to work out, you know? Um, and sometimes it doesn't work out, but a lot of times it does. And I think we, as humans tend to want to intervene like too soon. Um, so, uh, natural farming really encourages you to observe more, you know, and take that time to learn. And I say, even if nothing else, I harvest a lesson. So even if I don't harvest a crop, I'm harvesting a lesson out of it. And, uh, that's better than nothing. At least that's what I tell myself, <laughs> but yeah, I, I slip up too. you know, I don't stay on my sprays as, as much as I would, uh, I have, uh, you know, application and, uh, discipline within any practice, discipline within any practice is extremely important. So in yoga, we call it tapas and that's like a meaning fire. And, um, that's your discipline of coming to your mat or doing your work every day, um, just showing up every day. And, uh, farming is definitely a practice where you have to show up every day. You know, there's little time that you get away from the farm and, uh, yeah, that, that can be a lot, but natural farming, um, in general, it just helps you be more con connected with that source. And, um, it just, for me personally, it's more empowering, you know, this in the same extent as like within herbalism, you know, there's, there's herbalists out there. I don't mean, sorry, I don't mean to do air quotes. That was not nice. There's herbalists out there that go on like mountain reserves. I'm not hating and like, or star West. And they just like type in adaptogens in this, in this little search box. They're like adaptogen or sedative. And then they just put all them order all that in their cart. You know, they probably have some of that stuff in their backyard, but they're going to get it from fucking Bulgaria. Um, you know, and that's just not practicing herbalism to me. Herbalism is using what you have in your backyard. Herbalism is, you know, as closed loop as possible, but again, not being cut off and building community. It's, it's using with what your bioregion is presenting to you. And so there's just so many similarities with herbalism, with natural farming, uh, you know, just using what you have, you know, um, in abundance, all of these things. Um, that's like the regenerative herbalism thing. It just really like, it just makes sense. Like for me, like you can't practice herbalism unless you're being regenerative. Otherwise you're just making products for Etsy. Like, I don't know. You're just not, it's, that's not herbalism. That's not, um, that's not what I practice or consider to practice, you know? Um, and so just, I think regenerative in general, don't really like labels, um, or certifications. I'm not a big fan about certifications. Cause like, I don't want and this is something that I picked up from Moon Mountain, Amber in particular. Uh, like, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do on my own farm. You know, I don't want to have those kind of guidelines. I want to build a direct relationship with whoever I'm selling something with to the best of my ability and let them know how I'm growing it. And they can ask me questions and I'll be open and honest with them about it. And in a perfect world, you know, 
organic to me is uh, like, I don't know if you've seen Tommy Boy and when he's like, oh, I can take a shit in a box and mark guaranteed. Like, that's what I feel like organic is these days. Because <laughs> like, it's just like, fuck that. Like Driscoll's organic, like a uh, miracle Grow organic line. Like, what are those companies about? They aren't about being organic. Like, they're just capitalizing on that term. And then I see small farms trying to keep up with organic uh, standards and struggling because it's expensive and it takes a lot of paperwork. And they got fucking, I'd rather see those people fucking sitting in a fishing boat and enjoying themselves and filling out fucking paperwork. You know, I'd rather see people not need to see that organic line to just trust their farmer and, you know, like, know your farmer, know your grower, um, fuck, know your sower as like, in terms of being familiar with your seamstress too, because, um, it's, you know, it's important to build those relationships in my opinion. Um, I don't want someone to just look at a sticker on my product and be like, Oh, that was grown good. You know, this organic sticker tells me that I'm like, "Mm." and I don't want regenerative to just become, organic either so it's interesting being on that kind of like that's a new term and I think that we get to define it right now you know and decide how it's used you know so um I guess I am jumping on that bandwagon because I really do like the term regenerative as opposed to organic or sustainable I don't want to just sustain what we have I truly want to regenerate regenerate the earth and leave it better than how I how I found it. And, um, natural farming really lets you do that. Ben Folk is one of my favorite, um, um, I don't know, garden designers or he, he wrote, um, the resilient, the resilient farmer or resilient gardener. Um, and he talks about in the first chapter about how in the first 10 years, uh, like in 10 years, you can completely regenerate a, t- a landscape, you know? And in the 10 years that I've been, well, I guess seven years been on this property, I can definitely see a big difference from when I was just here in the spaces that I've done something and in the spaces that I haven't done something. But in the three years of practicing natural farming, it's been, or yeah, about three, two and a half years of practicing um, natural farming. It's been, you know, exponential, the positive change that I've seen. So I think it really can accelerate um, the deep level of healing that we need right now on the planet. So yes. Um, I, uh, yeah, I love that book. I'm like, oh, if you want to complain about, uh, oh no, that's Carol. Dope. It's the resilient farmer. I think, uh, no, the resilient homestead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I can't remember Ben Falk, uh, B E N F A L K F A L K. Yeah. Yeah. That like, I had a lot of eco grief and like anxiety and that like first chapter of that book was like, oh, there can be a change. And um, uh, some of the stuff in the book is dated. Yes, that book, that, that's the one. That's a good book. Um, yeah, he's helped design some of my friend's farms even up here in Michigan. He's, he's, he's really cool. Um, but I think it's easier to just complain and kind of be like, oh, I'm so sad about the universe or, oh, it doesn't matter. It's too far gone. Uh, it's, you know, hard to have that mentality when you've started to do the work and you can see the change and you're like, wait, no, 
there's some potential here. There's some, we shouldn't just give up yet. You know, we should keep trying. So, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to keep trying and not totally give up on mother earth yet, but it's definitely, you know, um, easy to kind of be like a nihilist in that sense and just be like, Oh, what does it matter anyway? Like we're like, what small part do I play? You know? And I think that natural farming again it's empowering in like the biggest sense to like look out your herbalism to look out your window and and see medicine and see food and to see things that you can eat um and and utilize in all these ways and then just to look out your window and see fertilizers and see all this potential for you know people take my regenerative herbalism class and they're like well I just have to get used to like gardens not looking pretty and I'm like no you don't have to do that you, it just it's uh oh there's another really good book uh there's this it's called planting a new perspective and it's this Swedish garden designer um uh and he he says that a plant's only worth growing if it looks pretty dead and that is like 100 my speed um uh, yeah, planting a new perspective. I think that's what a lot of us need to do right now. Um, and it is, it's just a new perspective. Like we've been taught that, like, that's, that's a really good book. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I, I haven't dived into it yet, but, uh, I just got it like, um, like a month ago. Um, <laughs> and the way he's landscaping is how we need to start landscaping cities. Like this is the, this is the, um, this is a new book. It's, uh, relatively new um what he's doing but he's working with a lot of native plant species that's what I do as well you know primarily working with native medicinals uh edibles and things of that nature on the property so trying to again cultivate um diversity you know in the garden but also playing a lot with like rewilding people will come over and be like well where's your garden at and I'll be like yes <laughs> you don't know <laughs> yes because it's you know it's like that blurring uh the blurring of the line with the wild and like domesticating undomesticated you know I've, I've planted native echinacea plants technically no phenotype is native anymore um but uh they've all been somewhat hybridized but um you know as native of a phenotype there's a place called mason uh, it's in Mason, Michigan. It's called Wild Types, and they sell Michigan um, native species, and they actually do genetic testing to see if it's a native phenotype. It's pretty fucking cool. Um, so they, uh, you can get a lot of really cool, they do over 500 different species. Um, and so you plant these plants, and then they're technically, you know, you planted them, but they're native, and you're once with natives, you don't have to take care of them a whole lot. You know, they, they know what they're doing here. So you can let them be like, I love growing echinacea or yarrow. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, trying to cultivate more medicine than I pick from the wild. I used to do a lot more foraging, but, uh, now, um, I don't really forage as much as I used to, um, unless it's things like berries and things like that. Um, but, or like morels, but I don't get out much for mushrooms. I'm usually too busy planting in the springtime, unfortunately, but this year was a good morel mushroom year. The past few years haven't been that great anyhow. So do you guys get mushrooms down there? Do you like mushroom hunt? Oh yeah. I'm in Oklahoma. We had a, a good uh, run actually went out with um, 
Jordan River and Brendan Rust, and uh, we went out and did some morel hunting at a pretty good day. Uh, nice. And then um, I found a, a bunch. And then this time of year is really good for um, cinnabars and chanterelles. You can get smooth and, and uh, golden chanterelles uh, this time of year out here. We have hen of the woods, uh, lion's manes, uh, oysters, a um, whole bunch of different goodies out here in, in Oklahoma. We have quite a few different ones. Yeah, I haven't spent like any time in Oklahoma. I really want to go there and just like smoke a doobie on the street, you know, like anywhere the fuck I want, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. In Oklahoma, anywhere tobacco is allowed to smoke weed. So I know it. That's how it should fucking be. Actually, you should be able to smoke weed in more places than you can fucking smoke tobacco, really. But we'll start. We'll start there and then go from there. Well, it's cool. Some bars and stuff, because in Oklahoma, you, you, they allow smoking in bars. So oh, some bars are like to, uh, tobacco on Tuesdays and then weed on Wednesdays. And yes. It's like weed only inside, but tobacco outside. And like they have like different rules for different days of the week. So that like whoever wants to come use that space for their whatever it is, you know, yeah. have the tobacco people smoking on top of everybody all the time. So it's kind of yeah, nice. Yeah. I'll be there on Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I think Billy Strings is playing in Oklahoma. I don't know. October 15th ish. I don't know. I shouldn't know these dates off the top of my head. I hope that's not right. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking about hopping on. I'm like, you know, and I could send it to Oklahoma for, for a Billy string show and spend a couple extra days. There's, uh, but Zach is down there. He uh, he was a soil smith when I was a soil smith. Uh, we did our second training in um, 2021 in Tennessee. That was also a very, very fun class. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's some good people. My buddy Jesse, he actually just moved back up from um, uh, Oklahoma to Michigan, but he still kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Uh we got some good people down there. So, um, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of curious to see uh, if, as legalization kind of continues to go through the South, to see if other Southern states don't end up adopting some of Oklahoma's rules and being more of a, you know, more or less of a free for all. Because, uh, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to see like Alabama or Mississippi or Georgia. Or, you know, I, I, I do. I currently operate in Georgia already, but um, it'd be interesting to see the the you know the deep South kind of get in on this here before too long uh, and see if they, if they do, you know, are as liberal if it ends up being uh, more of a draconian kind of market. Do you think it's going to happen in those states before it happens federally? Or you think it's going to happen down there soon? It's wild to think that there's, you know, one state you can be smoking a doobie down the road and then the next state over go to jail. Well, what's interesting is uh, in, in well, at least in Georgia, so in Georgia, you can get like Delta 8 and CBD stuff everywhere. So that's perfectly legal. So like people don't know if you're smoking THC or CBD. It all smells the that's same. Right? So like, so like yeah. we just smoke all the time, like just outside the bar or whatever. And they don't get bothered by the cops or anything. They don't. They're just, you know, and we work for a C, we have a CBD operation down there. So it's like I don't have to worry about anything. You know, there's there's no issues as far as that, yeah, because we have, you know, we're just growing CBD at the farm and all that. So there's no. You know, we get inspected regularly. They even fly over, fly us with drones yeah. uh, in Georgia. It's, it's pretty wild. So you know, we, we can't cheat if we want to there. So it's like, you know, as soon as we we will be uh, first in line, when, you know, once they fully open up. But even the first six licenses that they opened up, 
so far are heavily restricted. They have like a maximum of like 8% THC or something like that. Ridiculous uh, on the final product. And they're um, what I thought was most ridiculous about the Georgia legalization was the fact that there are um, none of those six people that got issued a license business-wise are actually Georgia companies. They're all out of state companies. Why would you completely issue not a single license to someone actually from Georgia? Shouldn't your law support Georgians? Like, come on now. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's frustrating. Yeah, that's I thought that was completely wild. Um, but yeah. uh, so uh, people often ask with your style of growing with the the more forest style of growing, uh, what, what do you do for pest management? What have you found that works well for that? And, and um, you know, how do you manage that whole aspect of your gardening? Um, my five-year-old daughter does a really good job <laughs> at a lot of pest management, actually. I highly Nickel recommend Nickel bug, right? Yeah, yeah. Pop yeah. <laughs> out a bunch of kids and yeah, give them a bucket of water and tell them to pick the potato bugs and you'll take them to get ice cream. And it works really well. Yeah, it really does. Actually, <laughs> that's, that's honestly like my number one IPM is my daughter. <laughs> so, um, and she loves it. She's like, I can squish these eggs. I'm like, fuck yeah, find all the orange eggs you can. And yeah, mommy, give you a quarter for everyone. It's great. And, just imagining yeah, like yeah. I'm just imagining like a really hippie teacher like loading a bunch of preschoolers onto a bus and every day they go to a different farm to pick up the bus. This off. is how we should be utilizing the school <laughs> systems right now, okay? Seriously. It's it's good labor. I mean, the kids like it. So it's not labor. It's if you call it play, it's not really labor. It's playtime. <laughs> no, no, I just I think it's I think it's great. When I was in Zimbabwe, we had the kids collecting grasshoppers for us for making the IPMO. So, yeah, you know, my daughter, hornworms. Are you? She's like Timon and Pumbaa with that shit. She's like, she peels them off. I'm like, I get all grossed out. And she's like, look at this fatty mom. I'm like, dude, just put it in the bucket. Like, just put it in the bucket. I like got gloves on and she's just like bare handing it. Like these huge hornworms. We actually haven't had hornworms, knock on wood, the past couple of years. Those have been, those were our biggest, uh, in like 2018 2019 they did a lot of damage but then potato bugs have been like what i have to say the most on top of the past two years and really like hand picking is just the best thing for those um that i've found uh and this year in particular i feel like i finally nailed it with um i just like got on top of it like i was like i know the potato bugs are coming i'm um, just round one like you know like knock them out and so um yeah I, that really worked that really really worked actually my one buddy said he um he actually uh uh it's a new friend i made his name's andy it's like great lakes grease or great lakes sustainable harvest on instagram he hand cultivates two acres he says of uh vegetables like plants two uh 1200 tomato plants this year like uh grows 50 different species of peppers, all like with natural farming techniques um, as well. Super inspiring work that he's doing uh, in Michigan. And um, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I haven't even planted my potatoes yet because the potato bugs get so bad. They'll just eat them right down to the stem. So he actually waits till after the heat comes and then plants them pretty late. But I'm like more of a I want my potatoes in the ground as soon as possible. So really picking that first, um, picking that first round and um, making sure that uh, we, we stay on top of them. 
Uh, so every try to do it weekly, but you know, every couple of weeks, basically when we can start to see them, or if we see like any visible damage, we'll, we'll be on top of it. But this year, um, I don't, I was on top of it sooner than, than usual. And I just feel like we really put a dent in their numbers soon. And now the potatoes are like, so established that they're like not doing as much uh, damage, but, um, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. And then, yeah, hornworms are our other major pests. We used to deal with really bad Japanese beetles with the, with the cannabis plants back in the day, but, um, those haven't really been an issue lately for whatever reason. And, uh, again, hand picking was just like the best thing that we have found. So, and then, uh, deer are my, my other pests that have kind of started to, uh, quite a large pest that has started to do damage this year, mainly to my brassicas. But, um, again, they've just started to bounce back and kind of establish and, uh, I will spray like a liquid fence of coyote piss just because I feel like it works the best, but I have such a big garden space and there, you know, there's so many fucking coyotes out there that I don't know how much that actually works, but, um, but I think that yeah. like at least for a week or two, you know, helps keep them away. I'm spoiled. I got two wolf dogs. So we just send them out there. And oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just lost my wolf dog, actually. Well, he wasn't really a wolf dog, but he was 185 pounds. So he was kind of like a wolf. Uh, he is my mastiff passed away in 20 or on 420, actually, this year. Um, he was 11 years old. He was my best friend. And he was my biggest pest in the garden. That motherfucker would eat tomatoes like you wouldn't believe right off the vine. He'd be walking around with like a five pound tomato in his mouth and you couldn't see it. And I could tell by the look on his face that he had something in his mouth and I'd be like, spit it out. And he'd spit out this huge, like five pound gold medal, like beautiful tomato. I'm like, dude, not the gold medals, like anything but the gold medal tomatoes. So he, uh, yeah, I will miss my, my Mastiff sorely this year in the garden. Um, I actually planted him his own patch of tomatoes last year because it was his 10th. 10th garden year so I was like if you make it this year you'll have your own tomato patches but yeah the guard the dogs do a great job with keeping them away my um my lab does a good job but he he doesn't do a good enough job they've definitely found a food source um last year I left my garden up from winter 2019 to 2020 yeah that's right I know 2021. Yeah. I left it up as like, you know, Oh, leave your garden up as a food, like, uh, you know, don't, don't mess with things and everything. I used to pull, used to pull out my garden out entirely in fall. And then I tapered off from that. But, um, I left like some kale plants up and Oh God, the deer found them in the middle of winter and stuff. And they, since that spring, since finding the food source in the middle of the winter, I've thought about plant, uh, planting a little bit of a food crop for them further back. I just haven't done that, but it seems like a potentially a good option. I have a really narrow, long property. So like the front 13 acres is pretty open. And then the back six acres is wooded. So they don't really creep up by the house too much just because we are over here so much, but they, we have 60 acres of cornfields to our west and then 60 acres of cornfield to our north and then my neighbors have uh 98 acres 
that L's out behind my property. So um, the ladies next door, uh, they've owned the properties since the 80s and they have practiced animal husbandry uh, specifically with fowl. So um, the majority of like, they have a ton of tractor implements. I just got a tractor in 2021 um, through my CSH. So my community supported herbalism program, it ships quarterly. So I send out boxes of herbal remedies from um, on the solstices and equinox. So spring, summer, fall, winter, and you get a box of like four or five herbal remedies that are all like with the seasons. I'm about to start shipping the summer boxes. Y'all can still sign up if you want to. Um, and you can do it quarterly. It's $90 per box. And um, it really helps the farm out a lot. It helps me um, have like a creative outlet in um, it's the most sustainable form of making products and practicing herbalism that I found because I, I have 40 members right now, 30, 39. So whoever wants to be the 40th run, run now. <laughs> um, but I, I have 40 members and uh, they, they allow me to create like seasonal, more small batch medicine and not just make like endless garlic powder or endless scape sea salt. You know, I, um, I get like that creative outlet, but then I don't have to worry about the medicine sitting on the shelves or having overstock. Like it's all spoken for. Um, there's an old proverb that says you can't give medicine to people who don't ask for it. So I really love just having kind of that permission and that um, trust with this group of people who allow me to create for them on a regular basis. Um, yeah, it's the reason we were able to get our tractor was through our CSH, which Josh uh, Rutherford actually got a tractor through a CSA the, first, the same year that I did that. So we're like, tractor buddies, Josh. <laughs> yes, um, it's, yeah, like, those programs, it, it adds up, you know, uh, it, it really does. And um, that's been a game changer for the farm in general. Um, and for my creative outlet with like, oh, God, I don't want to just make only garlic powder or just one product. You know, I live like on a polyculture farm, like, you know, so it's nice to make up. Plus, everyone's like, you make so much different stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point, you know, <laughs> like you're, you, you don't just grow one thing, you know. So, yeah. I did want to mention, uh, and I just kind of didn't get a chance to earlier, with the potato bugs, uh, making some IPMO works really good for that. So collecting enough of them to use as about a third of your IMO recipe for IMO okay. collection, okay. Uh, and then taking that and stabilizing that to an IMO too with the insect frass uh, or insect frass and insect corpses uh, as part of that, you know, IMO one instead of the, just the all rice. Uh, and then you okay. can collect some of the local fungi that feed on them that way and stabilize it in IMO2 form and then use that to make liquid IMO. Or you, um, you can do it where if you don't have time, if you do have time, you can take that, put that into an IMO3 uh, and then do, you know, two to four cups per kilogram of bran uh, of insect frass or your target insect and put that in there and then take that IMO2 inoculant and put that onto IMO3 and bulk it out into that and then use that to make a liquid IMO or an IMO4. Um, I'll be presenting on that at the conference uh, at the end of July, but that's um, cool. That's super yeah. cool. I was thinking about like, there's no way that they would like, like the smell of their own dead or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they, they have to are like that, like they, like 
you know, and this is something that's taking everything even like a next step further. I'm like, I got to be able to implement these insects. Like I thought about adding them into a ferment or something just to like make better use of them. Cause I feel bad just kind of killing them, but you know, they, they travel pretty far. So it's hard to just like dump them at the end of the driveway. They're just going to fucking come back, you know? So yeah. yeah take them, take them, kill them and then put them in your rice and you just weigh them. So you have a good ratio, you know, about a third approximately of the rice that you would use um, for your IMO one collection and then add them again in IMO three, if you're going to go take it all the way to a three or four, um, you know, but you can make a liquid IMO from IMO two, three, or four at that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to demo IMO three on the farm on Tuesday. So maybe we'll pick some potato bugs, uh, for that reason. Um, that was how, really so, cool. yeah, Chris then, Trump taught me that Chris Trump taught me that, uh, I was stuck in Zimbabwe. Uh, when COVID started to happen, they closed the borders and we couldn't import anything that we could get as far as Viveria Bastiana or anything else to use for the field. So we were kind of stuck and we were dealing and we, we couldn't get BT anywhere. Um, uh, so we were stuck with these grasshoppers and um, we, we tried that and it worked really well. And then we've used that here in Oklahoma since then as well um, and with really good results. We tried it last year in Georgia for Japanese beetles they were eating the roses there and it worked really well for them. Although it did have an effect on the bees. Um, it did, um, you know, kill some of the bees that came to, uh, um, you know, feed on the roses. So be, be mindful of what you use. If it's a flowering crop and you have pollen, you know, if you have beehives, you know, just be careful what you're spraying it on. I'm not to say that you can't use it, but, you know, just be mindful of that. But if you use it for cannabis and other stuff, it's perfectly fine. You're not worried about that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super good to know. Yeah, I will be imp, imp, um, taking notes. Yeah, I'm, I like it. Thank you for that tip. Yeah. My daughter will okay. be excited too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of the cooler ones. But Chris actually found it because they had brand that they gotten. Someone purchased a bunch of it and there were some weevils or, or, uh, that gotten into it. They noticed that they were covered on uh, like little white popcorn there in IMO3 when they bulked it out, all the weevils were covered in like their own little fungi that were totally spored out. Whoa. And that's when he got the idea that, yeah, that was odd. So we sprayed it out in the field. And then he had a bunch of these beetles that were attacking the trees and the macadamia nuts. And it just like, all of those were covered in that fungi, you know, the next week after that. Um, so, you know, he was able to use it that way. And that's when he realized that like, Hey, this is a, this is like a biocontrol. This is pretty great. So fucking um, sweet yeah yeah i love that it like came from like maybe what would seem like almost like a bad batch you're like oh fuck this thing's got a bunch of shit in it that's no good but it's like a, a blessing in disguise you know the weevils being in there actually led to that kind of discovery so again just using what you have and making the most out of it you know i think that's a great example uh yeah i i'm i i always like listen to suzanne talk when she's i think she's probably who i've heard talk most about uh ipm just being at the uh redundant conference and everything like that we don't have um again knock on wood um anything too too major of an issue but the potato bugs have been getting worse so i feel like kind of got a good got ahead of them this year but uh i'm sure that uh, again they are um they are in quite a few places because I've, it's my third year doing potatoes. So I've rotated them, you know, and so they're 
keep on popping up volunteer potatoes and, and the, the, they come with the bugs. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's a really great, um, um, tip. I'm going to, I'm going to try that next time I put some, some boxes out in the woods. I'll try that. Nice. Um, uh, you know, since you're such an herbal specialist, is there any kind of maybe like starter herbal solutions or herbal uh, to problems that people might have with their different uh, uh, things skin-wise or other things, maybe kind of like starter herbs that people can kind of get used to working with, uh, you know, uh, if they're trying to, you know, get go down that path? Yeah, I mean, probably to start with what you have in your kitchen already. So garlic is awesome uh, for a lot of things. Uh, cayenne is awesome for a lot of things. Uh, oregano, um, rosemary, all those type of things. Those are all herbs, uh, you know, plants that can be used as medicine. So that's probably the simplest and fastest way for people to work with it. Right now, there's probably an abundance of things that you can pick and make a sun tea with, which you don't even have to, um, you know, dry anything, you know, just go out and pick whatever, whatever plants you have in abundance and put them in a jar of water, just like you're making some no liquid fertilizer just don't let it sit for too long and hold the leaf mold i guess you could add some leaf mold if you wanted to but yeah um sun tea is awesome that's a really great way for people to dive in super simple um like an oil infusion uh with the alcohol alimentary method that's the most potent and easiest way to make a you know there's really simple ways like just like a solar infusion or stovetop infusion but you can take things a step further with uh, coating uh, the plants in alcohol before you infuse them into the oil. So it makes um, the um, nutrient, the makes constituents more uh, bioavailable for the oil to take up and it gives us much stronger, darker extracts. So that's something I started to do recently because I was trained in a very traditional sense, like, oh, don't use electronics because we're super hippies, you know, um, but actually using a blender can really help increase like the surface area and, you know, just make a more potent, you know, I'm not Amish, so I can use electronics and I do now. Um, but it did take me a long time. I loved like traditional, like slow medicine is potent medicine and all that kind of stuff. But there are certain things that, um, I encourage people to utilize because they're there for a reason. Um, and it's, it's helpful to use them. So yeah, a, an oil infusion, um, I would and turn people on to the it's alcohol alimentary method, um, or, uh, shrubs right now are really easy to make. If you have berries, you can mix berries with uh, vinegar, like an apple cider vinegar, and then let it sit I mean, at least a week, close to a month, and then decant the herbs out. So just strain the herbs out of the apple cider vinegar and then mix it with equal parts honey. And the shrub is also known as a drinking vinegar. They were made popular in like the 18th, 19th century uh, to flavor like soda pops. So before uh, Coca-Cola and all that kind of shit happened, um, we just had like sparkling water and these yummy fruitful shrubs that we would mix together and enjoy. So that's one of my favorite things to do. Also with a shrub, you can use it to flavor a drink or you can mix it with like an olive oil. 
Um, so you're like vinegar, honey based, like berry infused solution mixed with equal parts. Olive oil makes like a really yummy salad dressing. If you put that on like a spinach, goat cheese, walnut, strawberry salad, it's pretty fire. It stains the goat cheese purple. Everybody's having a good time. It's nice. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I would say start with a sun tea, you know, if you're feeling fancy, make a shrub. So whatever your comfort level is, I love helping people kind of, uh, just get into herbalism, um, and, uh, you know, integrating it into their life. I, I encourage everyone within the regenerative herbalism group, like you guys are going to have your own practice. Um, I can share my recipes, but you're never going to have my sauce kind of deal, you know? So, um, it, it, that's part of the exciting part with, with natural farming in general. And that's another reason why I don't like labels or certifications. Cause I feel like it's really hard for anyone to make a blanket statement about what's going to be best for one farm. Uh, and just really having that more all encompassing, like natural farming rather than, I mean, I've even seen like memes that are pinning, are pinning like Jadam against KNF. And I just don't understand like who has time to, you know, pin two groups of people who are trying just to do the best for the world. Like this is your battle. This is a battle you pick. Yeah, no, I yeah. totally agree with that. <laughs> who's at home making these memes? Like clearly, like uh, you know, just pay attention to who's trying to divide and who's trying to unite. You know. Um, By the way, KNF is totally better than Jadam. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not picking sides here. That's completely wrong. <laughs> no, I was like the little girl who's like got that evil look in her eye and like the house on fire and like the house on fire was KNF and then the little girl was Jadam. And I'm like, are you saying that like the little girl murdered her parents? Because you like understand that like there literally would not be a Jadam if like KNF, like Master Chut, like I'm just... Like, especially within Asian cultures too, there's such a respect level that like we lack in American culture. So it just feels really disrespectful to me. Like, uh, I'm just old school that way, but like, uh, you know, show some fucking respect. Like, uh, um, you would hope that something that came after something else would be innovative, <laughs> like, and not worse, like KNF was first and Janam was second. So like, <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah, they're out there. I'm happy you guys have heard of them. I'm like, you gotta kind of be down, down <laughs> see these things. Like, cause yeah, I'm like, oh my God, my friend sent me some of these. It's like, I don't want to see that. No, thank you. I don't, uh, uh-uh. no, oh, we're, I just don't have time for it. I don't we're big on the memes, especially the, the goofy, silly ones. <laughs> Anyone that's watched our show, especially. <laughs> Especially when I used to be on a few shows, I used to do memes, <laughs> five or six an episode. <laughs> so it's you. You're the one that's out there. Making them. Yes, I'm the one to blame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I just found that interesting. I'm like, wow, we've gone that far with it, huh? You know, and it's okay. I mean, I'm like, I'm glad that you found something that works for you, but why do you have to like put other things down? That's, that's something I don't understand that people do in all aspects of life too, that like, you know, if, if something's working for you, like great bud, like good job. That's great. I'm happy for you. 
you don't have to put down like either other people or other, um, you know, businesses or organizations or, you know, whatever, uh, enter blank into like, make you feel better about what you're doing, you know? And I, if, I think there's you- use. I think there's useful things on both sides of the fence is I, I take a lot. I, I still do a lot of KNF stuff and I still do a lot of Jadam stuff. I find uses for both of them in my grow without a doubt. So. I'm just starting with some, uh, yeah, Jadam stuff. It's new. It's, it's relatively new to me. I mean, within Chris's, um, workshop, uh, our workbooks, um, that you get, if you take the intensive, he even has a paragraph in there that says like, KNF and Shadam are not at war. Like, so I mean, clearly there's been some type of a tiff between the two long enough for him to feel like he needs to put a paragraph in in his uh, workbook about it. So, there, was, there was some family drama between the, the yeah, authors yeah. there, which we yeah, won't get into, I, but like that, no, that's where a lot of it stems from. Yeah, and that makes sense. I was like, there's some deep rooted stuff here, but it's like, uh, it seems like, uh, it seems silly for two groups of people who seem like they're on the same path, more or less so to it, but it happens in, in aspects that aren't KNF and Jadam too. It happens in other aspects and even within aspects of two people that practice KNF and two people that practice Jadam. So um, again, building soil and community, you know, I'm really big on, you know, trying trying to make sure everyone feels included and uh, building an environment where everybody can thrive from microbes to whoever the fuck, you know, is, is present, you know, everybody, there's space enough for everybody, you know, in, in my opinion. So. This is the other book I recommend often from the Jadam stuff is the pest and disease control one, because it's just a really good reference guide to a whole bunch of different pests and diseases. Um, and um, especially if you're a vegetable grower, there's a lot of different vegetable-specific uh, insects in there, and um, it's just a good one, you know, to have around. That's cool. Yes, I'm writing writing that one down too. I'm taking taking my notes here. Yeah, they they have that one, and then there's an herb one, herbs to grow for pest controls and stuff like that as well, and some other ones. So they're definitely diversified a little bit. Um, than some of the earlier stuff and then even some of the other stuff out of japan is really good as well it's not just about green natural farming and master cho but some of the people that master cho learned from uh, as well you can check out some of their writings and find some pretty great stuff and then um i'm hoping to get a uh, nigel palmer on this year for the regenerative or for the uh, aquaponic cannabis conference and then as well uh, just on the podcast um, he's another person who's kind of like a chris trump type person who uh does KNF slightly different than, than everyone else, but people often don't really talk about it because they're not in the same tribe as like a lot of these other KNF practitioners. He does kind of his own thing more for like flower gardens and food so funny. There's a local flower farm that, yeah, a local flower farm just introduced me to Black Dog Meadows um, out of Hillsdale. She was like, oh, do you know Nigel? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know Nigel. Like, I don't know who this is. He was Nigel. And this was a recent, um, you know, I'd say maybe springtime I was talking to her. So he, he does a lot of stuff with like FPJ or something like that specifically yeah. coming out with like a nutrient, something or other, uh, like a whole, he's compiling some type of information that, uh, that seems pretty, um, thorough. I can't remember exactly what, what it was on. Nice. 
We also have uh, putting together the Open Nutrient Project where we're kind of doing a similar kind of thing. And we took all the data from different uh, sources mm-hmm. that we could find with different nutrients so that people that are doing FPJs um, can kind of have a resource for that. We're working on getting that on a website, but I do have a spreadsheet. If anyone wants to uh, get access to that, email me at opennutrientproject.com. Um, we'll send that to you. And it's a, kind of like a more expanded version of um, the... Um, uh, what is it called? Um, Dr. Uh, whatever's photo ethnobotanical, um, Dr. Duke's, Dr. Duke's ethnobotanical okay. uh, list. It's kind of like that, but it's all geared towards minerals. And then we took the Dr. Duke database and then added a whole bunch of other sources as well. Uh, and then all the water tests. So like what, what test kits do you need to order if you want to test for the mineral range of whatever it is that you want to test for, for molybdenum or manganese or iron or whatever you can get all that and in order the right thing for your home scale. So um, it's kind of designed for people that are trying to do more of the research end of it so that we can kind of get that info out there and, and unlock more of that. Yeah, that's super cool. I feel like we need a, a lot more uh, research on, on these type of things. I'm definitely more of a gardener that's like just pretty intuitive and I plant more than I need. And I, you know, but in order to like really scale things up and uh, get people to start implementing this on a, on a larger level, um, and just other people just, you know, full spectrum of minds out there and what people, what kind of data people want to see and need to see in order to hop on board for something. I just think that the more information compiled by people that are actually doing it right too, because there's been a couple of studies that came out recently that I'm like, whether the results are good or bad, um, still questionable about how the application was done. So it's, it's, you know. That's something I've been talking to Wendy with uh, Sunabis and um, James um, about. Um, I have a sis- uh, I have a sister in law who's pretty good at. She writes grants for for a living, so um, for a university writes you know uh, um, grant applications. I should say she doesn't write grants, but she um, that's her job. You, you know, it's not easy to to necessarily get a grant. They don't just hand out money blindly. So having um, the ability to kind of know what people are looking for when you're when you're applying for one, and uh, Michigan has a few like women and women in farming kind of grants or whatever. So looking into getting a few different things like that, um, it would be awesome to have something just to work with like the hormonal levels with an FPJ, a few different things along those levels that I was talking to Wendy with, which isn't something that I prioritize because I just don't like, I I'm getting what I need out of it or whatever, but I'm starting to see the value more and like, no, this is kind of a necessary step in order to like legitimize and set a standard within uh, the practice. So, you know, I, uh, I'll see, I guess I'm adding it to the to-do list in terms of getting uh, a grant application out there, but putting it out into the universe that, you know, this winter that will be, um, uh, a goal of mine to, but it's, it's hard. There's so many grants out there in the first place. When you go to look, it's like, holy fucking shit. There's so many options. Um, and then to actually go and apply and, and get accepted is, is, uh, that much more of, uh, you know, that many more steps and of a challenge, but I think that it's coming. There was a one really cool, well, it was a cool study, uh, out of Marquette. I think it was like Northern Michigan university. Um, again, people from moon mountain, 
um, posted about it, but it wasn't them. Somebody at the university did a study on FPJ within cannabis specifically, and it showed uh, positive results within the flavonoids and uh, terpene levels. Uh, but again, um, I don't know how they applied the FPJ. Um, so he, he didn't publish the study, but if you email him, he will send you um, the study. I haven't gone through and, and read it, but um, even again, like those are positive results. That's what you kind of would expect to see, but um, you know, how exactly was he applying it and, and in, uh, like what methodology and also frequency and, and all those kind of things. Cause you know, just cause one study says that it's good, that still just only proves so much, you know? Um, so I think it's cool just that more people are starting to do it and, um, you know, we'll see hopefully more, more tests at a larger scale, but if, you know, there's, not a lot of whole money and saving people money, I suppose. So we'll see who, you know, we're not going to see, like, I don't think Miracle Grow or uh, Driscoll's like releasing any kind of natural farming or like whatever. I just, you know, whoever insert big, big box fucking double in, in, in the mix. But, um, Scott's OHN. Yeah. So seven is coming out with a new FPJ line. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, oh, don't ready cannabis. <laughs> Eagle 20. Yeah, no. We'll see. Um, but well, I do think that there needs to be more studies. I, I was I'm like, just do the work and you'll see the results, you know, which is kind of where I'm at right now. But I think the more you see the results, the more you want to understand exactly how those are happening, you know. So for people who have been doing it for longer, I think that they crave kind of those answers potentially a little bit more than I do. Um, and also just, again, people have different preferences, you know, and, and, and different needs and desires in terms of what they want to see in order to believe, you know, um, and hop on board. But I do think the change is coming. I think that, uh, you know, people doing the work is the first step and, uh, it's clearly working. People are talking about it. Uh, you know, people are interested in it and, uh, um, Slowly but surely, I think we'll start to see a shift. There's a lot of farms by me that have um, like 3,000 acres, you know, families that have been farming for, you know, the streets around here are named after them. So as long as people have been in this area um, and I would really start to, I would love to do a natural farming class that, that catches their attention a little bit, you know, but uh, I'm not on that skill. I've talked to Chris about coming out one one day, Chris will come out to the farm, I'm sure. Um, and uh, if I keep asking and annoying him. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I have dreams that it's not just going to be me in the area um, practicing natural farming that like, you know, the Smith family up the road with 3000 acres, they'll do it. And um, the Milanese boys, they'll, they'll hop on board, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, and it's worked like Chris is doing on larger scales, that's going to allow those, um, you know, con conversions or converts to come, if you will. So um, I think it's pretty cool the work he's doing in South Dakota with the farm that has the head of acres. Um, I think that's going to be like the new biggest natural farm in in the world or, or whatever. Uh, 
that's going to, the first one to suppress Chris is at least so with the 700 acres. So pretty cool. Yeah. You know, slowly I, folks will start to hop on. I know, uh, uh, running uh starting to run out of time here but uh, i know you also mentioned about community building um what advice do you have for people that want to start at their own local uh you know gardening or natural farming community or women's gardening community or whatever it is that they're trying to start you know what advice do you have for for those people i know uh, if anyone wants to start a, a, a local garden club i actually have a, especially if it's uh, slightly geared towards weed i have a whole first uh, six slides decks that are about an hour long that just kind of cover a bunch of basic gardening stuff i'm happy to send you uh, if that helps you get started uh, I, I do want to fill it out to a year's worth but i have six months done so if you want if you want that i'm happy to send you that and we kind of cover it's designed to be started off in january or february and kind of go through um you know planting germination what what to expect as the heat starts coming in and what what how to change your pest control for that and all that stuff so um, uh, what, uh, what type of stuff and advice do you have? I know that you're really big on the community building. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say, you know, put yourself out there. Uh, it's, you know, there's all sorts of, um, people in, in the most strangest places you wouldn't expect, you know, I feel like there's a trend of needing to move places to, to feel cool especially as a girl from Ohio. I resonate with that very deeply. People are like, oh, you're, you're cool. You're like from the West Coast. I'm like, I'm from Ohio. They're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I don't know what else to ask you now, you know? So <laughs> it's like, I get it. Like, yeah. Uh, but you just, you don't have to, you, you got to make your community where you're at. You know, you have to be happy where you're at. You can't chase your happiness. You can't chase your community. Um, I'm cultivating, you know, in Hillsdale, a beautiful community, and it is a very conservative, um, it feels like in a lot of ways, I live in like 1945, in a lot, in a lot of ways, it's a very, very conservative, um, pretty religious area, um, but there's still like, you know, my friend Susie over at Rebel Farms, she has like this gorgeous facility, um, that's uh, all geothermal regulated. She's taken the 60 acre cornfield and completely regenerated to the point where they have like a pond, with a beaver on it and this whole pawpaw grove. She's like, you know, 20 minutes away from me, about 30 minutes away. And then divine pine gathering on my friend's 40 acres is uh, 10 minutes away from me. So I live like what feels like in the middle of nowhere. And I got to drive like an hour to get to a city, but there's still so many fucking badass people right in my area. And it's just a matter of like making those communities like me and Abby, who we put on divine pine gathering together. We met at a marathon gas station. She used to make deli sandwiches behind the deli. And I'd be like ordering my turkey sandwich, like yolk and could have some mayo and you want to hang out sometime, <laughs> you know, like the connections are made like in the local gas station. They're made, you know, in those awkward, like, oh, I feel like I should say this right now. I'm going to say it. I don't care what happens afterwards, you know? And uh, even Chris at the regenerative conference introduced me to this girl, Jasmine. She is fucking badass. And, uh, um, I, I remember seeing her there and I'm like, oh, she's cool. I want to, I want to talk to her, but we didn't connect. And then Chris like literally walks her right up to me and 
this is Jasmine. I'm like, sweet, nice to meet you. And she lives 10 minutes away from me, but we met like an hour and a half away. And now she's teaching at Divine Pine Gathering, uh, Decolonization 101, um, and helping us like, you know, build this community even deeper. Um, it's, it's really cool. You know, it's that ripple effect. And uh, it's something that you know, it happens in the same way where you're cultivating diversity in your soil. And just the more that you do it, like the better it gets. And it's a really, really cool. I, I, I think the most, most, the best, the best advice I can give someone is just to like, yeah, go outside of your comfort zone and, uh, and do things like talk on podcasts when you're super nervous <laughs> and, uh, you know, I uh, hope that maybe a couple people listen and get something out of it, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, the uh, last question I wanted to ask you was any advice on people making creams or I know you have some wonderful creams that I've had a chance to use. Do you want to tell people maybe just about your um, the stuff that you have? Because uh, I still have some leftover of the stuff that you gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have an online apothecary with all sorts of seasonal remedies. I have, I've tried to like dial it into a staple, um, 10 or so, or maybe 20 products that I do like regularly. And then I have my CSH where I do like a rotating seasonal, um, offering, but that's my wonders of nature. Sav it's got comfrey, yarrow, plantain, comfrey is a cell proliferator. Yarrow is an astringent and, um, plantains, uh, really great anti-inflammatory and antihistamine as well. So it has a nice anti-itch property. Wonders of nature because I'm a deadhead and I love Grateful Dead very, very much. So a lot of my um, names will have uh, a tip of the hat to the Grateful Dead. Um, yeah, currently sold out of my garlic powder and sold out of my phenome. Those are my two spices, um, that I do. And, uh, those will be gone until September. Like I'll har harvest my garlic in July, let it cure probably through August. And just when I get time to make more, um, or when I have more bills due, then I'll make more. <laughs> um, the bloom, bloom and blossoms. This is a so grateful that I have a song that goes sugar, magnolia, blossoms, blooming. And so this is blooming blossoms, magnolia, sugar, because uh, it's literally just powdered uh, magnolias, um, dehydrated and powdered magnolias mixed with sugar. And it's like for like the rim of a drink. It makes a really yummy. Um, it's got a gingery taste to it. Uh, magnolias have a gingery taste to them. That's my scape sea salt. It's three parts scapes to one part salt. So the majority of it is scapes in there. This product came in 2020 when I had a bunch of scapes and I didn't know what to do with them all because no restaurant was buying them from me. And I sold my scapes for like $8 a pound. And uh, someone was like, you know what? You should make salt with it. Someone on Instagram. Cause I was like, what do I do with all these scapes guys? Um, and so in 2020, I made my scape sea salt and it was so fucking good. I sold out of it pretty fast. Um, and uh, yeah, that one, I just relisted that one. It's scape season right now. So that one's freshly listed. And those were the shrubs that I was telling you about. So just that drinking vinegar. And this one's all sold out too. This one is um, a muddle, like a cacao muddle. That shrub though, that's the um, wild grapes, blackberries, 
and blueberries. My niche is that everything's uh, harvested in Michigan. Uh, all the plants are harvested in Michigan. So again, back to that, um, just going online and ordering, um, you know, your herbs, even within, um, like this year, I'll harvest uh, Angelica for OHN. And so uh, in July or August, I'll be making OHN with homegrown garlic and homegrown Angelica. So um, we can also grow ginger in uh, Michigan. I think it'd be really interesting to work with more, uh, you know, techniques in getting OHN to be, I think uh, cinnamon's really the only thing that we can't grow in Michigan. So working with some more like single source and, and, and growing your own ingredients for, for the inputs, because it doesn't feel good to me in the same sense that it does like go online and order ingredients uh, for these products. It, you know, as much as I cannot go online and order ingredients for my inputs like OHN. Um, I remember we were, I was talking with Wendy um, and she was saying we should go on a big trip to Korea and bulk up on all of these herbs and everything. And I'm like, well, let's go to a big trip to Korea and like learn about lineage. But there's a bunch of herb farms here in Michigan are here. Well, there's herb farms here in Michigan. There's herb farms all around us in America that will grow everything but cinnamon in terms of OHN um, for, for ingredients. And, and they will happily grow it for you. You know, some of the stuff will take longer, like, like, uh, um, you know, a few years to grow potentially, but uh, that doesn't mean that they won't do it. So I really like to encourage people to make connections with their local herb farms. And by people, I mean, natural farmers. I like to connect natural farmers with local herb farmers so that they can, um, you know, just close that loop a little bit more and uh, be using USA grown ingredients for their um, inputs, like primarily like OHN. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm excited to harvest my Angelica. It's so pretty. It's like 10, it's like, not 10 feet tall, but it's like six feet tall. It's really pretty. <laughs> yeah, they can get huge if they have the right conditions for sure. Yeah. Yep. And they're biannual. So I'll have to harvest this year. And um, it's seeming like it's on its way out, but uh, I guess the seeds of Angelica are really good medicine for grief, which is really interesting to me. So I'm going to harvest the seeds, let it go to seed entirely and try to time it out with the garlic harvest and just uh, get the OHM started here soon. Hopefully pretty big batch. I'm just going to base it off of how much Angelica I have. And cause I'll know I'll have plenty of garlic <laughs> and uh, just order, order the rest. But obviously you can skip the rehydration stuff there when you're using the fresh. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> cool. Well, again, if you're listening, you can get all those products we were just talking about at thirdcoastherbalcollective.com. Um, you can also find her at uh, Third Coast Herbal Collective uh, on Instagram. You can see that on the screen here. We'll have a link to that as well in the, in the uh, description uh, if you're uh, you know, viewing this on any platform. Uh, and yeah, definitely check her out. She's got a ton of cool stuff. There's an events calendar uh, if you want to check out different events at her farm in Michigan. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Is there anything else you wanted to mention here as we uh, wrap up? 
No, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice to gab and talk and catch up. I appreciate your uh, company, and it's been a while since I got to sit down and have a conversation with you since March or so. So yeah, whenever you're back in Michigan, or I'll be in uh, I'll be at the main conference for regen uh, for organic cultivars uh, in February, I think. So I think that might be the next time or in the same place at the same time. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, Steve. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, thanks a lot. And definitely looking forward to um, seeing all the, the cool things you you cook up next time I see you because the, the stuff you had last time in Michigan was really good. <laughs> yeah, got those garlic terps, that's for sure. Got the best garlic terps around, so. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, buddy. You have a good one. Thanks again. Take care. Take care. Bye. Well, that was wonderful. Uh, always good to have more of the regenerative people on, and especially when they're uh, someone who's uh, I've had a chance to taste their uh, their different products firsthand. So uh, a really good time. Uh, what's new with you, Wes? No, good. She's a great guest. Oh, not much, not much. Just uh, just chilling, just taking uh, just taking some time for myself, a little spending time with family and stuff, uh, spending a lot of time in the grow, just normal stuff. Just regular life how about you man what do you have to i uh, just been busy working on getting the edibles stuff back up and running uh i think we're pretty close on that I'm just trying to finalize the product lists and um all that fun stuff and you know exactly which ones we're going to launch with and what order and all that fun all the the unfun part of, of making edibles um so just working on that and uh mostly just that really i have a couple of other little projects here and there's one little one in oregon that we're on and then we'll be out in Georgia probably in August for a week or so. Um, so that'll be fun and uh, uh, getting another update on that farm. So that's coming along. And then, um, yeah, kind of not really sure what's going to happen here after the fall. I got a couple of weird project offers and some far flung places. So we'll see how, uh, how that goes. I want to make sure we get the edible stuff up and running and, and get that all going because that's some longer term. Um, stuff with a, a really good group of people that have really good distribution and stuff like that. So I want to make sure that we get that up and running before I go on to, to other stuff. But once that happens, I think, uh, I think we'll be uh, doing that. And then we'll have some really cool products on the market. We have some actually some cool new stuff. Um, if everything pans out the way we're hoping to, they'll come out in the market that you guys haven't seen before that are weed infused that I think are pretty freaking cool. Uh, and not only that, but like they're cheap for you and they're cheap, you know, as far as the customer. So I think people are going to like that a lot. Um, other than that, um, next week is our 300th episode. A bunch of really cool guests. I actually talked to a couple of cool people that uh, are some of y'all's favorite people to listen to and some of our favorite um, speakers from previous episodes. Uh, so definitely some cool OGs will be here as always, like we did for 100 and 200. Um, in fact, with 200 episodes last time we had Frenchie on the show. Uh, so uh, yeah, kind of kind of crazy. So, uh, but yeah, we'll have a, a good time with some cool people uh, next what, Thursday and uh, looking forward to that. It's kind of hard to believe 300 freaking episodes of this show, but I feel like 200 to 300 really, we, we had some of our best episodes we've had and some really cool guests and stuff like that. So um, yeah. also, if you guys are enjoying the show, definitely check out, I was over on um, uh, the survival podcast the other day. They had, had me on earlier this week. So that was another one. And then, uh, I'm on some, I'm on uh, Graybeard show here in July. So uh, 
check that out as well. I think that's the next one I have booked for, for doing on someone else's show. So definitely looking forward to that. And then if you're listening and you're interested in being a speaker, if you have an aquaponics facility, if you're an aquaponic grower at home, we do have panels for both of those um, at the upcoming aquaponic cannabis conference in November. Uh, we are final working on the schedule now. So uh, reach out to me uh, if you're interested in speaking. Um, we uh, have a couple of slots left. I have a, a lot of, couple of cool new people on for this year. Uh, some of our favorite people from previous years. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Um, I think we're going to cut it back to maybe 12 hours instead of 14, uh, just for sanity's sake uh, each day. And, but uh, we'll see how many guests we have. We might, we might even do a third day this year. We'll, we'll kind of play it by ear and I'll let you guys know soon. Uh, other than that, I'm just looking forward to traveling a bit here soon. Uh, we'll have all the, the people coming out here in July. Looking forward to that. Chris Trump's going to come hang out, get into some trouble together. And it's always fun. He's one of my favorite people to spend time with. So we'll have a good time doing that. And then, um, um, yeah, just uh, working on a couple of other longer term projects. I have two different books I'm working on right now, trying to get those finished for this year. So working on that. We have the nutrient class that I'll have. I have it all in a rough draft right now. I just got to sit down and film the slides um, uh, for that. That'll supplement the, uh, the pest control portion of the class that I, we put out the other day. Um, basically like the advanced class. People keep asking for the advanced class. So um, it's kind of like a version for that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, if you're looking forward to or want to know more about nutrients and minerals, um, we're definitely going to have that available here soon. Um, it's going to be about a one-day course, um, similar to the pest control class, a single-day course that has everything geared specifically around the microbes and mineralization and mineral dosing for aquaponic systems, be it lettuce or flowering crops or whatever. It's, it's just based on those two factors and that whole aspect of, of it because they are, you know, hand-in-hand, hand, you know, without one, you can't have the other. So um, you do really have to teach them combined as a, a methodology. So I think people are going to like that. There's a lot of KNF inputs in that as well. So people are going to really enjoy that. So, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out, check out the pest control class. I put a lot of time into that. Um, if you're interested, thepestclass.com. Um, we do have a huge library of photos and, um, you know, uh, firsthand experiences with dealing with all the pests in that presentation. Uh, and it covers all the different vegetable stuff. It's not specifically geared to cannabis. We do cover all the cannabis specific aspects of those pest control stuff, but um, we also cover vegetable stuff as well. So. Uh, definitely check that out and then uh be sure to check out our aquaponic cannabis class um we have here epmjclass.com marty and i have uh, a whole bunch of new content on there uh, it's going to be going up live that's already recorded i just got to edit it down and get it uploaded um we have the pest class at the pestclass.com tons of great photos that i've taken uh, over the years uh, and that one uh, and some stuff that we had gotten open source as well so uh, and then also um, the conference at the end of July, uh, again at cultivators.net. Sure, check that out if you're in Oklahoma. And um, the Mycelia at the Festival up in Washington, August 19th, 20th, and 21st. All right, you guys. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, again, next week is 300 episodes. Uh, super stoked on that. It's kind of hard to believe that we have that many episodes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like, uh, I don't know, kind of can't even believe that. It was kind of, and, and having Tommy Chong on and everything else so far, you know, especially this last yes. couple of months, has been really, really cool. So 
Uh, thanks everybody for continued support of the show. Um, and, uh, and thank yeah, you for all your be... hard work, man. <laughs> thanks. Uh, we're definitely going to have some fun guests next week. Uh, I'm not going to leak who it is, but we got some cool people already lined up and I'm going to work. Big on getting one, yeah, more. So <laughs> thanks everybody for watching. We'll catch you guys again next week.